Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on word vomit, Asking a, yep, we said it, asking a future son-in-law to call you mom, one guest defining an event, and thanking coach after each practice. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on nursing home etiquette. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about managers who don't cover their coughs. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. How's it going, cuz? It's mid-February here in Vermont. <laughs> I feel spring coming. Do you? I believe the ground One of us needs to. <laughs> Eternal optimist here. Yeah. I am uh, just assuming that this will be a good quick winter. Somehow saying spring is coming just doesn't have the same, like tone as winter is coming like it's just not the same zone you know but but i mean there's good stuff going on your parents are going on a kind of crazy trip actually coming up i ran into your mom at a uvm hockey game and she was like oh we're almost ready to leave for another massive bike trip my 71 year old mother yes and 75 turning 76 presently just turned 76 by the time this show airs yes are undertaking their joint third cross-country bike ride, my father's fourth. Okay. And they've always done the northern route previously. They've crisscrossed through Colorado, Montana, parts of Canada several times. This is east coast to west coast. Always. It's always the full coast-to-coast experience. This year it's a little different, and they're going from St. Augustine, Florida to San Diego. And it's got them in southern climes. And it's a little bit why I'm feeling springy. I'm picturing my, my parents' wind in their hair on their bikes. I'm so excited for them. I'm so proud of them. I'm a little jealous. I know. We always are. Whenever they start talking about this, I'm like, man, you guys have me so beat in the like, oh, what's the, what is the, what's the substitute for, um, badass yeah no <laughs> like, i think that's can we say that on this show will our audience be okay with that i Did think we, we just... can it's internet okay you okay i like just for the record dan is the one saying yes to this <laughs> but it is it's incredibly awesome it's like it's and i want to call it hardcore but it's not exactly hardcore because it's like of course 70 year olds can do these kinds of things like I, I think about my parents who are just almost 70 mm-hmm. and like i still think of them as like 45 50 you know what i mean like i was impressed jealous kind of a little bit surprised and startled by the whole endeavor the first time it happened and that was how many years ago now almost 20 years almost 20 years ago oh three yeah, yeah. so and when your mom was 51 the part of the story that i love to share also is that my father did it one time and he just loved it so much yeah. and he convinced my mother that it was something that to do. she might be interested in. i think he sort of invited in the right ways and planted the seed and she decided it was something she really (laughs) wanted to to tackle. Totally. My mother grew up before a lot of girls played sports. Yep. And she had never really undertaken a big physical challenge in that way before. She wasn't like the athlete, you know. It gave her so much joy. Yeah. It gave her such a, I think, sense of both accomplishment but also she took such pleasure in it. I think it really surprised her. Yeah. And it became something that, that was 
a discovery that well, she made about story. herself. It's, it's, it was really I mean, amazing. Think about it, though. It's like it's a massive rush of endorphins. And if you didn't grow up playing soccer, playing baseball on teams, like being pushed in phys ed all the time, like it is it's like your body isn't quite used to getting those activity endorphins the same way to then go on a cross-country bike trip I could imagine that just being like the biggest hit of like adrenaline dopamine serotonin like life-changing experience changing experience go pops for introducing her to it I think my mother is such an impressive woman and this added to those accomplishments that make me hold her in such high esteem I should also just tell a funny little story about this trip my father got a cell phone for the first time in his life about a month ago, and I spent. That's so John. It is so. It's it's very my father. If you if you know my father, and he is enjoying this this new tool. He gets the pictures, and mm-hmm. some of his friends are excited that he's on this device. I think the first text he got was some gif of a goat sticking its tongue out or something. And he's such a a senior cell phone user. It's really funny. Yeah. I helped him load his Google Maps, get signed up to apps that will track the ride, share his location with friends, and he is a big podcast listener. So I want to say hello to John (laughs) Senning, who I'm picturing on a bike somewhere between St. Augustine and San Diego. I don't know when this podcast is going to hit your ears, but I hope you're having a phenomenal time. That's so cool. How about we ride on over to some questions? Nice transition. Dan, we could also peddle some etiquette. Oh. We could cycle through some questions. Ooh. That's <laughs> so bad. The worse, the worse it feels coming out, the, the better, better it is. is. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, why do we like that? Dan, Dan, Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your message. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Off the bat today, we're starting with a question titled, OMG, I totally word vomit and I can't stop. Hello, I wanted to reach out with a question about changing a personal habit that I am realizing now as a 22-year-old young professional and wife is really hurting my relationships at home and at work. 
I am an oversharer, and it is unprofessional and unbecoming, but I cannot figure out how to stop myself from just word vomiting to fill awkward silences and to try to connect with people. I can tell that this habit is not strengthening any relationships I have. It just makes things uncomfortable. Do you have any suggestions to help set personal boundaries and find other less personal ways to connect with people? Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of your etiquette practices. They are just much easier to implement when they aren't a personal habit change. Mrs. C.O. Mrs. C.O., what a great question. And I want to start off by applauding your self-awareness. It is oftentimes really hard to notice these types of things about yourself, to identify habits, things that are happening unintentionally, oftentimes unconsciously. And as a second tear to that applause, it's extra difficult to notice those things when they might not make you feel good about yourself. I think it's easy to try to look the other way. (laughs) No, no, no. I only do that sometimes. Or don't they just understand I'm trying to? You can forgive yourself so easily. So it's very, it's, this is really great space that your brain is occupying that you're willing to say, you know, even if this is forgivable, I'm not enjoying who I am doing this. <laughs> or I could get a little better at this, or I'd like to be a little better at yeah. this, or I think it might make some improvements in my relationships at work and at home. Can I add a point to this? Honestly, step one has happened. Observation. One of the main things that at least all the therapy I've been through will tell you, and maybe Pooja can confirm with us, is that observing, being able to observe a behavior that you are doing or even a thought pattern in your own head is a real step in the right direction. And as you observe more and more when this is happening, you're also negatively associating with it because you don't like how it makes you feel or the interactions it creates with other people. And I don't mean to use like negative <laughs> reinforcement as a as a great tactic, but it is. And it will help you to observe it more often. And eventually you're going to get to the place where you can stop it before you do it. And maybe you'll just say one thing. It can motivate the change. That observation also gives you a lot of tools to use. I also want to say don't worry about fixing this all at once. Give yourself time. Habits are hard to change. It'll take a little bit of work to build those new habits that are going to work better for you. Be kind to yourself. Notice it happening. Tell yourself, I'm working on this. And little by little, you will, and it'll get better. And there are some particular things you can do that are going to help. The first one that I want to encourage, you ask about how do I continue to connect Mm -hmm. without oversharing. Conversation skills begin with good listening skills. Start practicing those listening skills, looking at people, smiling, affirming them by staying physically present and engaged, sitting up straight, looking them in the eye, nodding, giving those little nonverbal cues that you're present and that you're connected in some way is a big part of a good conversation. And If you actively run through that checklist during those awkward silences, it'll give you something to do. Am I physically present? Am I looking at this person? What is the expression on my face? Ask yourself these things. Make little changes. Make little adjustments. It'll give you something to do. I promise, too, you won't find yourself just sitting there staring at another person as you run through a checklist in your head and they're just looking at you like, why are you quiet? (laughs) Like, it's not, it doesn't end up being this awkward. You can also, in the moment, stop yourself. When you realize that you're starting to just fill unnecessary silences or you're you're starting to go into too much personal, it's okay to say, you know what, I've told myself I'm going to be better about not just dishing out all my personal details or I've told myself I'm going to be better about not trying to fill silences, so I'm going to stop myself now. What are you working on? Or what are you planning on cooking for dinner? You know, like something like that. Sometimes they find it a little funny, but most of the time people are often really impressed when they witness somebody working on a behavioral change. Dan and I do it around the office all the time. You all have heard my million and one failed attempts at trying not to swear. And I still say things like snickers and schnitzels and fish sticks and all kinds of stuff, (laughs) fudgesicles. But when we're working on changing something, it can actually be really impactful. I don't think it'll invite people to, to like tell you when you're doing it. Like, I don't suggest that. I think you can be in control of it. And I don't think people need to be out there policing you. 
But I do think that it, it can make a difference. Lizzie Post, our master of sample scripts, also <laughs> did something right there that's on the checklist of things to do, which is ask someone else a question. Oh, yeah. A totally. great way to take that ball out of your own hands and hand it back to someone else so that, one, you're not running on or dipping into topics that are maybe a little too personal or just things that aren't appropriate for the moment is to ask someone else a question, kick back into that listening mode. And that is one of those tools you have in your toolbox. Conversation is oftentimes an improvisation. It is really difficult to plan too far ahead. If you think about it, you oftentimes don't know the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth. Or someone else's. So, boy, we are in a wild ride anytime we choose to to open our mouths and speak or listen to someone else who is speaking. Like a good jazz musician who is doing a lot of improvising, there is a little bit of art to it. There's a question of what do I like to sound like that you ask yourself? And then you give yourself improvisational tools. You give yourself chords and scales and rhythm structures you give yourself yes. questions Going and with topics this metaphor. <laughs> and it's one of my favorites and this is yeah but wait you just it, said questions and topics this is easy we you've heard us talk about this on the show all the time think about those low tier topics these are things you can go to that don't feel too personal you could talk about them with anybody they are silence fillers i mean in a lot of ways so what are they dan tier 1 the easy ones are sports the weather immediate shared experience, the drive you had into work, the food that's sitting in <laughs> totally. front of you, the light that's out in the room, something that you're Meeting all everyone experiencing. Has work that day, yeah. It doesn't need to be boring and banal. Those can be things that you actually care about. My joke when I'm teaching is that particle physics and the opera are also pretty safe topics, have interests <laughs> and hobbies, things that you You're like. So funny. Our Uncle Bill loves the opera and loves to talk about the opera. So Peter Post uses this example when he's teaching. He can talk to his brother Bill about the opera and learn something that he knows nothing about by asking a question about opera. Particle physics... Maybe that's something you're interested in, but it's the idea here is that it doesn't need to be simple or boring. Have interests, have hobbies, have things that you enjoy that you like to talk about and go to those things. Yeah. Avoid the most personal and intimate topics yeah. and have an idea of what those things are. That's family life. That's finances. That's personal health issues. In the middle, you have those potentially controversial topics politics, religion, your love life. And you can play in that territory with intelligence, Mm -hmm. but you want to take care with it and just be aware that you're operating in potentially controversial territory. Absolutely. We often are really careful not to have youth or age in in its older years be things that define or that make, make for stereotypes in the world of etiquette. But at the same time, There are realities to growing up and maturing. And at 22 years old, honestly, your your word vomit's super forgivable. I'm just going to say it. Like, I I don't want to make it sound like it's a put down in any way. And I also don't want to make it sound like it's an excuse for not paying attention to yourself. But I also think you are young and you are you are growing and learning in these roles that you now have as a professional and as a wife and, you know, as an adult in your community. And it's okay to grow up in those roles. It's okay for you to be on a path of growing up in those roles. You don't have to be a 50-year-old accomplished, you know, hostess and conversationalist and career woman at this stage. You do want to be paying attention to that. Like I said, I don't want this to say, ah, you can just forget it and word vomit all you want. It is true that, you know, I think about some of the, the younger folks that we've worked with or someone who's a decade younger than me and how I will notice differences in our behavior, often because I'm seeing myself when I was their age and I'm, I'm like going, oh, man, I would totally have like talked about that or done that or showed up like this or, you know, it's it's fun looking back in that way. So also recognize that some of the people around you, they might they might not be looking at you and thinking this is such unforgivable and unbecoming behavior, which I thought was a really interesting word that you chose. Don't worry too much that your critics are being incredibly harsh about this. (laughs) People may even find that enthusiasm charming. Exactly. Mrs. CEO, clearly Lizzie and I can both talk a lot as well. Thank (laughs) you for this question and for giving us this opportunity to go back and forth. You needn't worry about doing anything wrong, Phil. You act all right. Just do and say whatever seems most natural. Well, there's an idea. Maybe a good idea. Worth a try anyway. And tomorrow is not too soon to start.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our next questioner wonders, can I be your mother? You've probably spoken to this issue before, and I've missed the answer, but maybe you could tell us all again. My daughter has a long-time, very committed relationship with a young man, and they live together now that they have both completed their academic studies. At some point, they may decide to actually get married, or not. That doesn't really matter as much to me as that they are really good to and for each other. My etiquette problem is this. I think of Adam like a new son added to our family and generally just talk about my four kids, three I birthed plus Adam. When I send correspondence to Adam and my daughter B, I do not hesitate to sign it mom or mom and dad as appropriate. But when I send something specifically to Adam only, like a birthday card, I'm hesitant to sign mom. After all, he has a natural mom and I don't want to usurp that title. Whatever thoughts you have on this topic would be helpful. If I could, I would have all of my kids' friends call me mom or mama C or something similar. I'm really not a fan of younger people calling me by my first name. And yes, I know that is an archaic attitude. Thanks. Not yet mom-in-law. Not yet mom-in-law. We haven't had this question on the show. We've had similar things, but not, not this actual question. So thank you so much for taking the time to write in. This is so sweet. It really is. It really, really is. I love that you send him cards. I know. And just ask him. This is one where your intention is so spot on. I think you can just be really honest about it. You know, saying something like, I think of you like a son. I often introduce you as my other son or or my son as my fourth child. But I never want you or your mom to feel like I'm stepping on your toes or trying to like steal a name or a relationship or something. And so would it be appropriate if when I'm writing just to you, I sign it mom, or maybe if I put mom in quotes, or maybe if you can write mama C, like you can say some suggestions, but get his buy-in, get his permission, ask him his opinion about it. Um, He might be saying, oh, I always thought it was so endearing and I really love it. Or my mom thinks it's the sweetest thing that you want to do this. She loves that I have another mom. Like it could be something that actually you find out is, is not a division, is not not a stepping on toes in any way, but it's it's very clear that you're very happy to have Adam in your family. And so either way, I think this conversation is going to be really easy. <laughs> it is always good to have options. And because you don't like to be referred to by your first name, and that is fine. That is a really appropriate choice for you to make in the same way we say ask someone else how they want to be addressed it's important that you get addressed the way you want to be addressed. And Mrs. C or Ms. C is a perfectly reasonable thing for someone, particularly someone younger than you, to call you. And it can be said with great affection. Oh, yeah. Mrs. C, it's so good to see you. Thanks so much, Mrs. C. I got your birthday card. It really put a smile on my face. That can be said with as much affection as as any other first name and can work fine. So it's okay to ask for that or to exercise that option if that's what ends up happening. It might even be the case that if Adam doesn't want to be referring to you as mom, but doesn't feel like something like a missus or putting a title in front of it, even with affection feels right, he might be the person that a first name basis ends up working with. The only thing that you want to be a little careful of is not establishing different names with like everybody, because that could get a little complicated. Use the relationship to determine really what you want this name to be in this connection to be. And then, of course, get the other person's buy in that that it feels appropriate. Not yet, Mom-in-Law. Thank you for this question, and thank you for honoring a really important relationship in your life. That's mighty good. But what's better, Tommy knows he's a real member of his family team. Our next question is titled, Does One Guest Define the Event? And it really actually gets at the heart of a very big hosting question. I attended a dinner party, which included one person who is Muslim who doesn't drink alcohol. Because of the one non-drinker, wine was not served at dinner. 
The host family usually serves wine as it is often incorporated in their Orthodox Jewish traditions. What is the proper etiquette in this situation? Dorothy. Dorothy, this is a classic host-guest etiquette question. Absolutely. And I'm going to look to some really classic etiquette. This is up to the host to decide. And there's going to be a bit of a host-guest dance because there needs to be an information exchange. Yeah. If someone doesn't drink alcohol, it can be for all kinds of reasons. And it can be a reason where there's some latitude. Oh, I don't drink, but... I'm really comfortable at events where people are drinking. Or it can be, I don't drink, and if I'm even around alcohol, it's a real problem for me. And I'm thinking of a very close friend who has a child with a peanut allergy. And that peanut allergy isn't the kind of allergy that you can just ignore. It really means that there can't be any peanuts in the house. We really can't come to your house if you have peanut butter in the cupboard. Or (laughs) more on the cooking surfaces, but it is. It it defines the event. And it's important for us as hosts to know that. It's important for a guest to let us know that when there is that kind of a, a, a particular situation that might impact the type of event that you're having. So right off the bat, It's really important to know that having the conversation about things that really do have dividing lines in your life when you're being invited to something is appropriate. For years and years and years, people thought it wasn't appropriate to put any of your own own things on a host. And that has really changed. It really is okay for you to stand up for certain boundaries in your life, especially if it comes to safety, but especially if it's also about you just simply navigating your uh, personal religious or cultural beliefs. Um, And it is an appropriate host-guest dance conversation to have. In fact, it's an important host-guest conversation to have. Totally. Once you've had that conversation, you have enough information to make intelligent choices. And as a host, you can say, this is a dinner that involves ceremony, that we perform a certain way, and alcohol is going to be served. It's probably best if we get together for tea on Sunday. Yeah, different event. Or or that I tell you to come after the ceremony has been performed, if that's a possibility. It's also entirely reasonable as a host to say, you know, we often use grape juice as a stand-in for this particular dinner, and we'd be happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Then, as a host, you get the grape juice, and depending on what your other guests are expecting or anticipating, you might let them know or not. If someone else is usually bringing the wine, letting them know that a sparkling grape juice or a grape juice is a really important part of your responsibility and role as a host. Right. What I find interesting about this question is that most people who have some kind of boundary in their life are actually very comfortable and confident expressing that boundary and moving within its confines. The three that come to mind quickest are around alcohol, smoking indoors, And actually dancing. I've heard a lot about dancing not being an uh, appropriate expression and therefore ends up being something that some people say, you know, this it comes up a lot in my work with weddings. And so that is that's where I've been familiar with it. And um, the, the people who who have to express the boundary are often very practiced at it and very comfortable to say, no, 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 that probably isn't the right event for me to be at or don't change it for everyone else, you know, just for me. Or they know when to say, wow, thank you for making that accommodation. I really appreciate it. So it's so funny how the the person with the boundary is often the person who's quite comfortable with everything. And I like that this question asks about the other people and Dan's point of saying, you know, you want to give folks a heads up so that they can also make choices. When it comes to no alcohol, it's funny how much there's this like judgment that's placed on the idea that you should be able to get through an evening without alcohol. Really refrain from trying to say that to people in order to encourage them to embrace the alcohol-free evening or the dance-free or the whatever it is. The shame and judgment isn't the way to go about just talking about or dealing with the fact that, that, that this is happening. So... We started this question, Dan started it off by reminding us that really it's a host's choice how they host for an evening. And even without any specific guest present, a host might make a decision that's different from the norm. They should probably communicate that, as we said. But it really is up to the host at the end of the day to determine 
what is going to happen at their gathering? And the question was framed as in, does one guest determine the rest? And it's actually the host that's determining what's going on. It's not the one guest. And the other thing you want to be really, really careful of is that, so let's say that these six couples get together and we have our friend who doesn't drink with us at the table, I really hope that the folks who are a little surprised that alcohol isn't being served, and again, another reason why you don't want to catch your guests off guard, let them know, is so that little Barbie comments don't come the way. And I mean, not Barbie as in the doll, but like barbs. Um, You know, oh boy, this rack of lamb would taste great with a nice uh, Malbec. I don't know. Don't speak wine. You can laugh at that if you want. You know, it's comments like that would be really rude um, and really, really just inappropriate given the circumstances. So I really think it's important to remember that this is happening because the host has made a choice about who's coming to dinner, not because the guest is responsible for all of it. I'm so used to thinking of this in the context of allergies. I had forgotten or it really hadn't occurred to me about indoor smoking. It's been a while since we've talked about that. I know, right? Or dancing. Could also fall into this category of places where you might be making accommodations and planning and changing things that people would be expecting to happen. Dorothy, thank you for this question. It's a really interesting host-guest question and speaks to a lot of social dynamics. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I have a topic that I'd like you to explore involving kids, greetings, and thanks. My husband is the coach of our nine-year-old's soccer team. We've noticed a pattern of kids showing up to practices and games to play while their parents sit in the stands or gather on the bleachers, often with their coffees in hand, talking amongst themselves. Sometimes they say hello, but often they do not. When the game is over, they grab their kids and leave. Sometimes they say bye, but it's not really a priority. My husband makes a point to say goodbye to each kid. There is one kid and family that consistently says thank you and goodbye to my husband every week. This family happens to be Japanese, and we know from living in Japan for three years that this behavior is very typical in their culture. Why can it not be more typical in American culture? (laughs) I truly do not understand. Whatever we do, I always prompt my kids to say hello and goodbye and to give thanks to all. My husband is not a paid coach. He is a volunteer. We've been involved in sports with our four kids long enough that we know, sadly, that this behavior is the norm. My husband coaches because he loves it, and he does it for our son. He does not need recognition, but he should not be taken for granted either. I'd like to teach our kids to be different by using the soccer families as examples of how not to act, but bad-talking their peers and teammates seems to be in bad taste and judgmental. I do not want to teach our kids that we believe our manners are superior or make them think we sit around thinking about the lack of courtesy and respect of others, even though we do. Rather, I hope to lead by example. Every time I send them out in the world, I remind them to say thanks and to give greetings. Recently, I noticed one of my kids was getting off the bus without saying goodbye or thank you to the bus driver. We spent a good deal of time talking about this and why it was important to acknowledge the bus driver each and every time we saw him. With daily reminders, I am now proud of my child each and every day as I see him doing what most other kids are not doing. Should I just keep coaching my own kids on proper etiquette and forget about the bad manner of others? It is so hard. And it's even harder not to use others as an example when teaching my kids what not to do. Thanks for taking the time to read my question and to discuss this topic. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for writing in. I'm having a mildly hard time actually finding the question in this because I think you you actually play out a very good solution, which is um, you're right. You shouldn't be putting down other people for not doing it. In fact, even as you're proud of what you see your child doing, I would try to drop off from noticing that it's what other kids aren't and your child is. Instead, just focus on it being the good behavior that you are proud of your child doing. The more you can get away from the comparison, I think the more that you are then focusing just on the good of it. And I think that you are trying to do that in the way that you don't 
don't use bad examples of other children that are on their teams and in their classrooms to teach them about how to do the good. And I think that that is really important. It's easier to teach the moments about what not to do when they actually happen to your child and the child is upset. So when someone doesn't thank your child for doing something like a favor or a kindness and you notice that your child looks a little bummed out or is is seeing that gap in the social experience they just had, that's that wonderful time to talk about how your child feels then and then why it makes it all the more important to write that thank you note, to issue that thank you to whatever the etiquette point you're trying trying to make is engage with it positively. I really commend you on not going down the road of saying, oh, did you see how Joni didn't do that thing? That's why I tell you to do it. Like, I think you're really smart to not be doing that to your child's friends and to to the other peers around. I think just setting up those comparisons is not going to, it's not going to help your kid focus on just doing the good stuff. The final thing that I want to mention, and I hope my mother's on a bike listening to this somewhere. This is an example that is torn from the pages of our children's etiquette training manual. The example of talking to the lunch lady or the bus driver and acknowledging them both with greetings and partings is one of the examples that my mother came up with many, many, many years ago to be the teaching examples for teaching kids how important these basic courtesies and core manners are. Anonymous, good work on on focusing on thank yous, on focusing on the importance of these interactions and these magic words. And keep it up. Keep up the good work of teaching your kids how to behave well in these types of situations and how to connect with the many people in their lives that they cross paths with daily. You realize that it's the simple things, being friendly, thinking of the other person, and showing respect that make up everyday courtesy. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us via Twitter. We're at emilypostinst. Or on Facebook, where we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week, we have a piece of feedback from Maggie. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show and take much of your advice to heart. Thanks for the detailed discussions and perspectives you give to everyday situations. I had a thought for the listener who wrote in about ending phone calls with, I'll let you go. I smiled as I was listening because I hear this line all the time and thought I would share my experience in case it resonates. I have a one-year-old who is the only grandchild on both sides of the family. My family lives out of town, necessitating frequent and often daily phone calls and FaceTimes. While I love catching up with my family, and they love to virtually interact with my daughter, the practicalities of FaceTiming while running after a toddler aren't easy. If my family senses that it isn't a good time for me or I'm in the middle of something, they will reluctantly say, I'll let you go, as a way to give me an out from the conversation. I've never taken it as condescending, and I think it comes from a place of, I wish we could keep talking, but I see it's not a great time for you, so it's okay that we stop now. I'm not sure if this is the same place your listener is in, because it is certainly possible for this line to be demeaning, but I don't think it's always meant to be. Keep up the great work, Maggie. Maggie, thank you for the reminder that sometimes I'll let you go is meant nicely, <laughs> that it's meant because someone appreciates how much you're dealing with, how much you've got going on, and maybe even as an acknowledgement of how frequently they call and ask for your attention. We talk a lot on this show about the importance of words and and how they make people feel, and it's equally important to note when they aren't feeling charged. These words are important when you are using the telephone. They will help you to be kind and considerate of other people. Again, Maggie, thank you for your feedback, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please send us your thoughts and updates. Do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And on today's Postscript, we are going to talk about senior care and nursing home visits. So we thought we'd return to something from one of our earliest posts, and I do mean earliest. Um, Listener Dorothy had written in pretty much in the first couple months of the podcast. This is a topic that's really important to me. My mother worked with Central Vermont Home Health, uh, the big home health agency here in Vermont, for many, many, many years, first as a visiting nurse and finally as an administrator. And it was a college job that I had where I, I worked with Central Vermont Home Health, both with the hospice program and the med waiver program, spent a lot of time taking care of people. My grandfather was also in a nursing home in the sending side of my family when I was growing up. And this was a, a type of etiquette that was something I learned very young and was an important part of the Senning family experience. Dorothy's email was a really good reminder about that, and she gave us a list of things to think about when you're thinking about visiting someone in a nursing home. Her first big tip was to do it, to make that visit, to not let the unknown or any of the challenges that you might face doing it stop you, that it's really important for everybody involved in that relationship to make the time and to make that visit part of the relationship, if at all possible. Once you've decided to do that, you want to let people know. You want to plan that visit. You want to let someone know you're coming. You want to be sure that you're familiar with the way those visits work at whatever the the care facility is so that you're showing up at a time when it's both possible and allowed, but also when it's not going to interrupt someone's schedule, whether it's their care schedule or whether it's the schedule for the facility itself could be something as as simple as the room's being cleaned and it's just not a good time if you want that private space to have your visit. You want to take really, really good care of your own health. You don't want to bring any illnesses into a nursing home or a senior care facility. You want to wash your hands ahead of time. You want to be sure that you cover up if you do cough or sneeze. And if you're feeling not well, if you're potentially contagious, reschedule. Do it a different time. Something else to think about when you're thinking about the way you impact the space is the the sense that you bring in. Sometimes people are really sensitive. So the aftershave that you use every day that really isn't too much for the office, the lotion that you love that is something that your family doesn't even notice anymore might make a really big impact. And you want to think about anything like that sense. The sense that come in on the flowers that you're bringing are also something to be aware of. So now you've taken care of a lot of the details, the logistics. You're going to go. You've planned it out. You've taken care that you show up well. You then also want to be really good company. And this was one where if we take a look and we, we sort of divert away from Dorothy's list that she sent us way, way, way back when and take a look at the 19th edition of Etiquette, there are some really good tips in that 19th edition of Etiquette about how to be good company on a visit. That's right. And that starts with... Be open to how your communication might vary. For instance, if someone's had a stroke and can't actually speak back to you, but understands that you're there, you might be doing blinks, you might be doing finger taps, you might just simply be trusting that everything you're saying to this person is being absorbed and that they are hearing you. It can feel like a one-sided conversation, but it is not. And that is really important to remember. You can also ask the staff for tips and help. There was a recent really great photos of whiteboards going around for patients who had trouble remembering things. And it says things like, you are safe. No one is gone. It's like the main concerns that this person would often worry about were then written right there, you know, able for them to read and see when they open their eyes and find themselves in an unfamiliar space, even though it's a space they might have lived in for the past few years. So communicate in various ways. Find activities to do together. Our family are puzzle nuts, so we all would bring and do puzzles with my grandfather when he was in a care facility, and it really was it was honestly enjoyable for all of us. It was a really fun way to connect with Poppy. Yeah, Dan, Dan's raising his hand just so you know. Guilty confession. Yep. Grandpa Senning yep. used to love cigars. <laughs> and you could bring him a cigar and you could wheel outside. And 
It that was, was one an of activity. The, the joys <laughs> in his life. Exactly. So whatever it is, if it's art, if it's reading books aloud to each other, if someone can still read, if it's games or music, whatever it is, a little stroll, um, maybe it's sitting and crocheting or knitting. And I know that sounds slow, but all my knitters out there are going to say, I know what you mean. Um, so find something you can share to do together as opposed to just sitting there and, and kind of having separate space in the same room. Share a meal. We often would go and eat with my grandfather and a lot of the other residents, and it was a great way to kind of get to know his community there and spend time and also have him be able to share. Grandparents and parents still love showing off their children. I mean, they do. And it's let yourself be a proud moment for them. But you also want to respect the need for privacy. And if today isn't the day or if there's care that your uh, senior family member isn't comfortable sharing in front of you, whether that's a trip to the bathroom or a shower or getting dressed, respect that and know that the staff is there to help. Try to respect whatever level of comfort that the person you're visiting has on that particular day. Sometimes that's even about the type of care they're receiving. And it's important to keep that space a private space so that they can even make choices about the kind of care that they're receiving if that's what they want. When it comes to family members who who do have trouble remembering, whether that's Alzheimer's or whether that's dementia, you want to be clear. You want to be patient. You want to be understanding of repetitions. Bring photos. It might feel really distant, but know that it isn't to actually introduce yourself Hi, Mom, it's me, Kate, you know, is a is a good way to go. Avoid questions that are asking for recollection. Do you remember when puts quite a lot of pressure on the person who might have a really hard time remembering when. And you also want to speak to this to, to your senior as an adult. Um, it's really important. In fact, it, it, we keep saying senior, but really anyone in a care facility, these tips would go for them, that you want to speak to the person as an adult just because they need extra care does not mean that they are not completely competent and, you know, mature of mind. And so it's really important to remember that. Dorothy reminded us in her email way back in that early, early single digit episode that one of the ways to show this care is to talk to someone, not about them that it's a core point of all good etiquette that you don't refer to someone who's present in the third person and you don't want to fall into this bad habit, whatever situation you find yourself in. So might that sound like, Mom, where w- would you like to have your meals in the cafeteria today as opposed to turning to the person who works at the facility and saying she'll have her meals in the cafeteria? I think that's a good example. Again, the old she's the cat's mother, which is that wonderful phrase that reminds us do not use pronouns when the person is present. Duration of visit is another thing to think about. Finding that sweet spot between too short and too long a visit is something there's no exact rule for, but it's something you want to stay aware of that you're a guest and like being a guest anywhere, it's possible to to be a little too quick in and out. And it's also possible to stay a little too long and you want to be careful to watch someone for cues and you can always ask. That's exactly right. And not every visit is going to be a long visit or a visit to visit. And so it goes back to that clearly communicate. Mom, today's visit, I'm just dropping off your clothing or, you know, I'm only going to have time for lunch today. Or today we have all day. What would you like to do so that you're talking about it and communicating about it rather than just showing up, dropping something off or showing up and staying really long when someone might be having a tired day? It's important to acknowledge everyone. It's important to acknowledge staff. It's important to acknowledge other residents. This is a community, and you want to participate well in that whole community. Dorothy's final piece of advice in that email she sent us so, so long ago is one that I think is worth reading in her own words. She concludes by saying, never forget to enjoy your time. Have fun. And I really liked that reminder that, bottom line, you're there to honor a relationship and to connect with someone. And that's something that can bring joy, can bring joy to everyone. So stay present in that. And however you feel about the broader situation, remember to enjoy that time that you spend with someone every time. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a salute from Kimberly. 
Dear Lizzie and Dan, I just wanted to take a moment and offer an etiquette salute to all the helpers during the recent government shutdown. My husband is a federal employee who was called on to work without pay for the shutdown, and I am a federal contractor who spent part of the shutdown on furlough. As the shutdown dragged on and on, I was so touched to hear from other federal employees, contractors, and friends, family, and acquaintances who gently and discreetly checked in to see if there was anything they could do to help us make do as we missed paycheck after paycheck. We even received a couple of thoughtfully timed and completely unexpected gift cards to help with groceries and other necessities. While we were so fortunate that our savings were enough to get us through this crisis, we know that many were not so lucky. We're so grateful to the restaurants that offered free meals to federal employees, to pop-up food pantries, and to the year-round food banks and community action agencies who had their resources stressed as thousands of families were suddenly without paychecks, to lenders and private businesses who gave payment extensions to those impacted, and to credit unions serving federal employees all over the country who offered 0% or low-cost loans, and to everyone who pitched in to help regular people facing such a tough few weeks not knowing when the end of the crisis would come. Most of all, we want to tip our virtual hats to the thousands of federal employees and Coast Guardsmen who came to work and just did their jobs. They do it every day. We saw so many of our coworkers struggling to make ends meet while they stayed loyal to serving the American people and protecting life, health, safety, and other vital missions of the federal workforce. These employees are the amazing and underappreciated glue that holds our country together. Thanks for this wonderful forum where we can recognize everyday kindness and generosity. Sincerely, Kimberly. Kimberly, thank you so much for this salute. Sometimes our salutes are about the little things that make a big difference, and sometimes they're about really big things. And clearly today's salute is about a really big thing, something that impacted just about everyone in this country. Thank you for your thoughts. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with friends, family, and coworkers on social media. You know, where you connect with more friends and family and sometimes coworkers. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text us at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette community. You do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the version of our show that contains ads on iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.